episode 39 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I am JP Breen, as you can hear, and joining me today is Ryan Top. Steve is taking the week off. Ryan, how are you celebrating Steve taking the week off? Uh, I have a uh, beer here, which is not abnormal, but yeah, I have a okay. I have a, a birthday beer somebody gave me. So I'm not I'm not a great person to discuss that with the various hops and and whatnot. No, no, it's it. This was this was a gift beer. So we we don't have the normal the sponsor beer this week. That's uh didn't have any in the house. So have to make sure I, I get that for next time. Absolutely. I'm obviously celebrating by by hosting this thing. So if anybody is upset that I'm hosting, just yell at Steve. Make sure you don't yell at me. It's it's his fault that I'm taking the reins. So you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We always want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate, and you can also email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com, or you can follow our Facebook page if you don't mind the privacy tracking. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. You'll find that in the Milwaukee Tailgate uh, Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, and thank you to everybody who does, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by carbon four brewing from dragon flute to block party to fantasy factory IPA K four specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You loved the raspberry fantasy factory. You wanted to marry the double fantasy factory. Well, here's introducing double hopped fantasy factory. We know you want it. We know you've thought about it, but did you ever think we'd do it? K4 is the house that FF built, so why the F not? It's coming Friday, May 11th, and available on tap only, so head over to the Carbon 4 Tap Room on Clinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side or check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. So I just need to point out, though, that you said Clinsman, and it's Kinsman Boulevard. It is not the uh, former... Uh, coach of the U.S. Men's National Soccer Team. There, that was. You'd think I'd know where my old stopping grounds are, but obviously not. You would think. No, I'm just going to say that this is us trying to work as much soccer into the podcast with Steve not here as possible. So, Klinsman, there's mention number one. We'll we'll get yeah. more in there as we go. Absolutely, we might even talk about the uh, King of Egypt. So Milwaukee's tailgate is also sponsored in part by sound devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear. And they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, check out the mix pre three and mix pre six for more information, visit sounddevices.com. All right, let's get to the baseball. So not that anybody's surprised, but the Brewers swept the dreadful reds. And they just came off a series in which they dropped two out of the three to the Pittsburgh Pirates. So they're sit- sitting uh, 20 and 15 overall. But I know a lot of people are pretty concerned that right now in teams over 500, uh, the Brewers are 6 and 14. They're 14 and 1 against teams under 500. Does this mean anything to you? Is that random? Do you give a crap? Can anything be done about it? All of those things. Um, I mean, 
it's not ideal. You would like to to take games against the teams that you're directly in competition with. And you know, so far, the Brewers are one and seven against the Cubs and three and three against the Cardinals. And those are the teams they're most directly competing with um, for the NL Central crown, which is what they're after. So that's not ideal. But at the same time, the Brewers going out and absolutely pummeling bad teams does make up for a lot of that. And it's, you know, over the course of 162 games, you're going to have things sorted out in a lot of weird ways. You're going to see strange things, especially in runs. You're going to see weird runs of things just because over the course of 162, things don't sort out evenly quite the way you would think they do. So whatever. We talked about this a little bit before. It's still a hot topic because the Brewers just refuse to make it go away as a as a point of discussion. Um, but, you know, like you look at the Cubs and the Cubs have a sub 500 record, I believe, against teams that are over 500. Uh, they're not doing well. They're largely in the position they're in because they were seven to one against the Brewers. So it's just but, a weird sorting. I mean, in some ways, though, the question is not whether or not the Brewers are OK, right? Because they clearly are. They're five games over 500. The, the I think the overall gist of the you know, the concern is a, can anything be done about it or B like, does this actually say something about the quality of this Brewers team? I mean, you can, what the Brewers can try to load their rotation so that they get their better pitchers going against the, the good teams. They can make sure that their, that their bullpen is as rested as possible for those, I guess. But but is it even a pitching really, issue though? Well, I no. I mean they they could you know get a weather machine and make the wind blow out in Wrigley so that they would score some runs there in that series. I don't know. I mean it. But then the Cubs would have as well. Well, the Cubs would have as well, but it would have been a lot less frustrating for people. You know, <laughs> so, so so it would have made you feel better. Yeah, it, it would have made you feel better because Yelich would have hit a bomb. Yes, I would feel a lot better if Yelich had hit that bomb. I would. That would that. Would, I know, I know that, but I mean, it's, I, ge- I genuinely do though. Like all jokes aside, you've mentioned it at least four times in the last two podcasts. So I know that <laughs> genuinely it would make you feel better. It does. It does rankle me. I don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> Y'all should hit bombs. Um, also, cause I have the, uh, the, or, or I have him on that prop bet between him and Brinson. So I would definitely like to see. Yellow shape well, bombs. Um, at, at this point, Brinson might be heading to AAA in a in you know a few more weeks if he keeps this up. Yeah, well, I I did kind of think that that was somewhat possible. Oh, you so. didn't think he was going to no, 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 hit one forty? Oh no, no, no! But I thought he could get sent down because I figured he was. There are issues with his swing and whatever that they're we're still trying to figure out how he can work in the big leagues. Like that was, and that was kind of a known quantity. Anyway, we're we're off getting off the topic here. Uh, I I don't know what you can actually do against the Cubs other than like Craig Council goes in and gives a big rah rah speech before like we gotta win this one, guys. I I don't think you really do that in in baseball either because there's the whole you're trying to stand an even keel to to get through the whole season because you have to play day after day after day. Getting do they need a players only series. meeting? Yeah, a players only meeting. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. When was the last time they had one of those last year, right? They had a bad run and Garza and Braun led a players only meeting. Pretty sure that was in August at some point and it like didn't make anything better. Yeah. Well, 
but players only meetings are supposed to make everything better. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. It's there's not really much you can do about it. You can hope that it it corrects. But if they continue, so like if they continue to do this for the season where they're playing over 500 teams at a, you know, a well under 500 mark, but they absolutely destroy the under 500 teams at this level, you know, like they're going to win like 110 games. So if this actual thing were to continue, what is actually happening now is not a problem. It, but what it a, won't. It obviously won't continue. They're not going to continue to be fourteen and one. You know, play. What is that like nine forty ball? They're not going to continue to do that against bad teams. But the same way, they're not going to continue probably to struggle that much against good teams. What if I throw this out here though? What if the fluke is not necessarily the fact that they are what eight games under five hundred against above five hundred teams? Right. What if that's not the fluke? What if the biggest fluke is the fact that they're absolutely destroying the bad teams? Well, okay, but what explains that then? How how would that function? Like, what is the the underlying in the exact cause of in that? the that? I mean, I, I think that in a lot of ways, you'd be looking at the fact that the teams under five hundred, they've won a lot of very close games, that they've been able to take advantage of early leads and hold it down with a bullpen. Well, and they've also blown some close games against the good teams. Absolutely. But I'm just asking, right? Because if if this entire question is never really addressing the fact that the pitching staff leaves a lot to be desired, I think the bullpen has been extraordinarily good. And what happens if they are not one of the best bullpens in all of baseball suddenly? Right. right. I mean, I mean what, happens, what happens if Jeremy Jeffress is not going to strand, like have a 90-some percent strand rate? Right. I mean, yes. If all the bad things... Continue, no, 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 no. Don't, but, no, don't no, create no, no. a straw, man. That's well, not no, what no, I'm no. saying. But if, if the bad things continue and the good things stop happening, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. I'm saying that right now, this is kind of what we expected for the starting rotation. That could happen. Uh, this isn't too far off from what I think we expected I mean, the, from the starting rotation. There's sort of a Chase, middling... Chase Anderson's kind of a, a been before today. He was like a three five guy today. It obviously pulled it up a little bit. Chasin's been about what he's been uh, about. You know, like he's he's a guy who struggles o- over, but he'll eat some innings and he can put together some good starts. Zach Davies. You know, I personally think he can be a little bit better than he's shown, but this is what a lot of other people were expecting from from Davies. And then after that, it's been Brent Suter and Junior Guerra and now Wade Miley. Like it's it's a middling rotation at best. Right. And, and it, the pitching staff has been held up by a phenomenal bullpen, which probably absolutely. doesn't continue at that rate. And as of now, do you see I, I'm not necessarily sure that the offense takes a huge step forward as I, currently constructed. That's where we would. Yeah, I think we'll get into that a little bit more in a little while because we have more questions on that coming up. But I do think the offense is going to take a, a multiple big steps up. But t- Travis Shaw has not been bad. No, he hasn't. Chris Domingo Yelich Santana has hasn't hit. Yelich and Kane have been good. Uh, Bronze's been Bronze actually been pretty good as well. Bronze's been fine. Uh, 
but beyond that, you know, Aguilar, Aguilar has, been, has been quite good when he's played. Aguilar has been. Yeah. Aguilar has been fine. So you're saying that you're going to see multiple guys take steps forward outside of those four or five guys. Yeah, because where guys are at right now uh, on the back end is so ridiculously low and so out of line with any reasonable expectation that even if those guys don't take a step forward, they're going to start shuffling and figuring out who to get into the lineup that will be better than that because those players have been incredibly awful. So I think one way or another, they're going to get more production out of the the back end of the lineup than they have been because it's just been it's been a horror show. Like those guys have been so, so bad that that won't continue one way or another, whether it's those guys or somebody else. That's not going to continue. But we'll talk about that more when we get to that. Well, we're talking about it right now. Well, did you want to throw out that question then that we had? Yeah. So, so we can so you we have professional uh hosting that makes everybody miss Steve. Um we, so we've got a Patreon question from Scott Moling and this is in somewhat uh addressing the offensive struggles but of particularly one person. And he was saying that Sogard was able to parlay a hot start in AAA last year into a successful MLB stint before falling off the stretch and really falling off this year. I think his OPS is what, like 360 or something crazy like that? Yeah, or like it, 390? It might, be, it might be up close to 400 after he got on base a few times yesterday. But he I'm says, sad. do you have an explanation for his success last year? And is it something that a hot bat like Nate Orff this year could duplicate? And I know that a lot of people have been having... Uh, you know, I've been calling for guys like Nate Orff, and and we'll talk about a little bit more later. But Mauricio Dubon has been somebody that people have been calling for as well. But he had an injury on uh, on Saturday night, so that's not going to be an option as it currently stands. But but Sogard and Nate Orff, what are you thinking? I mean, Sogard last year was a product of he got off to an insane start. He had an OPS over twelve hundred in his first fifty at bats in the month of May last year. That's not anything like any Eric Sogard that has ever existed. Um, and then it, it drifted down a bit after that, and you started to see much more in line with his what you would expect from Eric Sogard after that. Uh, he had still another good, a good month in there and actually another decent-ish month. 824 in June. Uh, in August, he was back up to 773. But in July a 245 OPS in September, a 590 OPS. He was absolutely dreadful. This is not something we haven't seen from him before what he's doing now. Uh, The bigger surprise was more what he did when he first got here last year, setting those numbers up high for himself. And he, he then had the whole season to kind of coast on those numbers and to continue to look good because the overall numbers still looked pretty good, even though he hadn't been very good after basically the month of June ended. So is Nate so, Orff the answer? Uh, I don't know. I I am getting to the point where I'm willing to say, even if he's not, I'd like to take a look and see because it, what we're seeing on a on a near daily basis with between Eric Sogard. Uh, Hernan Perez, who's also been off to an absolutely dreadful start. I mean, he's got an on-base percentage right now of 227. 
Perez does. It's this is just these are dreadful, dreadful, dreadful numbers. And I think they they are going to need to inject something into this lineup to get these guys going. I know that they wanted to get Sogard going, and that's why he was in the lineup this weekend. He got three straight starts over the weekend. But, man, I don't know how much longer you can continue on with this experiment when his his OPS looks like a good but not even like a great on, uh, batting average. <laughs> like, it's not even like a great batting average, and that's just absolutely awful. Pretty sure his OPS is like 390. That'd be a, that'd be yeah, a damn oh, that Yeah, oh, actually, average. no. It, yeah, you're right, because before that was – I said that before. He was at like 340 or 350. Which would still be a great batting average, right? It's a it's a very good batting average, but it's not like it's, it's not like, like amazing. Uh, what? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, for him it would be, but I mean, guys hit three forty, three fifty for every anybody. Well, a three forty batting average would be incredible. I'm not I'm not engaging with that. That's okay, ridiculous. okay. Anyway, the uh, point is the point is that <laughs> a OPS that begins with a three. That's pitcher stuff. Like, that's a good hitting pitcher. Like, that's, you know, that's a decent, good hitting pitcher. But that's a that's a pitcher. That's not, you know, that's not even your third catcher back in the 60s. Bad. That's that's pitcher stuff. So we need to. So there, there's a shelf life on how long you're going to stick with Sogard. It's only a one year contract. Yes, they're going to have to eat some money. But unless he starts hitting and hitting relatively soon. I don't see what the point is because it's not like his his glove has really been outstanding. And he doesn't have great defensive tools. He, this weekend, there was a double play ball that he wasn't able to turn because he just doesn't have that great an arm. So, yeah. it, I mean, he I just think is, he's a steady-ish defender, but even then, we've seen him bobble balls that have cost games. So, like, nothing is really rep- working when rep- it comes to him. One play, and that wasn't actually that easy of a play. No, but... but the point is, is that really nothing has gone right for him this year. It's hard to point well, to anything certainly. that's been positive. Certainly. And the one thing I will say about Nate Orff is I know, like, I know everybody is, is very, very high on him right now because he's hitting, like, he's hitting at least 370 in AAA right now. His, his on-base percentage, I think, coming into Sunday was almost 450. But if you really think about what Nate Orff offers there are two things that concern me number one if you take eric sogard off the team who's your backup shortstop is it jonathan vr yeah i think at this point it would have to be which is not necessarily solving any issues like with mauricio dubon vr is a playable shortstop though right but the issue is not whether or not these guys are playable defensively the issue has been the bat right but I'm staying like, and that's Sogard why, Mar- and that's why Mauricio playable at short. So, well, but that's why Mauricio Dupont was an attractive option. He could play a shortstop or second base and he's got better offensive skills, you know, potentially than both of them. And he's on his way to Milwaukee now to be examined by Dr. Rosh for a knee issue. Yeah. And so... not, not a good sign. And, but the thing about Nate Orff is that if he can really only play second base, he can play some corner outfield too, but really second base is where you'd be looking. He's five, eight, five, nine. He basically has a similar 
uh, walk rate and K rate to what you would expect from Eric Sogard. And prior to last year, when he got to play in Colorado Springs, the, the, he had only ever hit uh, two home runs in a single season. Outside of the really nice batting average, statistically, looking at what Nate Worth, like his height, his position, his batted ball, like his, his, his walk and K rate and his power, and he's not really that fast. I mean, I think the most he's never stolen more than like eight or nine bases in a year. How is Nadorf really that different than Eric Sogard? I mean, he may not be. It's I, I do think you're going to see him. There's more underlying power in there. Just looking at what he's done throughout his career. But that's only because Eric Sogard has remarkably little power. <laughs> it's not like Nate Orff has like good power it's just that eric sogard's power is so bad and so below average uh at any position that you just have to anybody's going to look better by comparison to that because it's such a low standard to set right so i i think the thing about nate orf to keep in mind is a couple of things number one the brewers sent him to the rookie developmental camp i believe after the 2016 season which you do for players who you expect to see big league time and the fact that they were sending Nate Orff there is a, is a very good sign for him in term. And I think the plan was always for him to be kind of a, a utility guy, uh, Aaron Amperez sort of guy who can play second base and some corner outfield spots if needed. But he does have a pretty compact swing that allows him to hit for average. Um, he hasn't always hit for average, but Colorado Springs obviously makes makes a lot of people look quite good. But he does have the ability to draw some walks. He has some ability to work the count. He has some ability to hit for average and has shown that over a long period of time, even if it's not an elite average that he's showing this year. So I get it. I think that I don't think he would be terrible. And I think right now that that's kind of the baseline for why you would look at calling him up. And if you're doing it and you're basically just hoping to catch lightning in a bottle or to see if somebody else can do something for a few months while you're waiting for you, perhaps Mauricio Dubon to rehab from whatever this injury is or for a, a, the trade market to open up where you could potentially go get somebody to, to fill in there, then, okay, that's fine too. If you're, sometimes there is a case to be made for just making a change for a change's sake to see if you can shake things up and see if you can get something. And, basically when that the case for that should be made is when things are really, really bad. And with Eric Sogard, things are really, really bad. Uh, the other guy who probably warrants a mention in this discussion as well is uh, a guy that the Brewers just acquired, what, a week ago? A little bit over a week ago? Uh, Tyler Saladino. Oh, longer than that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Saladino offers, again, a guy who's he has been to the big leagues. So it, whereas with Nate Orff, you're you're looking at a guy who has not. Saladino has been there. He hasn't been overly successful in the big leagues, but he, he at least has seen it. It's not going to be a, a shocking transition for him. Uh, and he is also hitting reasonably well with Colorado Springs this year since the Brewers acquired him. So... But everybody is hitting well at Colorado Springs. I mean, literally everyone, including 
uh, Andres Blanco is hitting well. Sure. No, I mean, like, there was, I looked a couple of nights ago and there was a lineup and every single person aside from one was hitting 300 or better. <laughs> I mean, like, well, okay. So, but, but again, I mean, there, I, the I understand the point. Is, I mean, whether I get the point that, that it's that Sogard has been so bad that at some point you just need to get to cut bait and, and go with somebody else. And for the longest time, it was going to be Mauricio Dupont. And now you have to make a decision because it sounds like the knee injury is bad. Potentially. Yeah. Um, I from it's out. It sounds bad. Um, I mean, he from from Twitter. Uh, not only was he he couldn't put any weight on it, needed to be carried off yesterday. Uh, but the fact that they're sending him to get uh, like tests done, I don't I don't know. Uh, but that sounds like an ACL injury. I mean, is what it sounds like. That's exactly what you would expect any time for for a basketball injury where somebody does something similar. It's the exact same process of you wait for it to heal, then you have to bring them back for tests. Okay. Or not not to heal, but um, for the swelling to go down. But And if that's the case, then it's the year. So Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I understand the point that you just then need to switch gears and you need to look at somebody like Saladino or you need to look at somebody like Worf. And the pro I, and in some ways, I don't want to discount their ability in AAA because that, by all accounts, is why Eric Sogard was able to transition so well to the big leagues last year. He was hitting so well in Colorado Springs because of the altitude and because of so many things. But, I mean, right now, I I think they might go with Saladino just because of the big league experience. If they do really need to bring somebody up and they want to cut uh, bait with, with Saladino or with, uh, with Sogard, but I don't know. We'll have to see. It's just not, it's not a great situation. No. Um, in any stretch of the imagination. Should we move on to other not great injury situations? <laughs> well, we had some news that Stephen Vogt is on his way back to Milwaukee too, and not necessarily to be rejoining the squad. And it sounds like Stephen Vogt has had a setback with his shoulder. It sounds like it's actually a different part of his shoulder than the original injury which is obviously never a good sign, but he doesn't seem like he is any closer to, to returning. So if Steven Vogt is going to be sidelined for minimum, what another week or two at the very, very minimum, if it, if it comes back and he's able to start a throwing program immediately is, is still Pena and, and jet Bandy and jet Bandy continues to really struggle and so at what point do you look and say, maybe Jacob Nottingham is the guy that you need to be able to bring up? Yeah, I mean, that seems like a a long-term thing where Nottingham is going to, I think, eventually be the backup catcher for this team. I don't know if that's going to happen later this summer yet, though. I think that may be more of a 2019 thing. But it's possible. I, I, I think that the if they continue to get nothing from Bandy... I think the more likely outcome is that they see what they can get out there on the waiver wire and possibly in a, a minor trade, one of those, you know, trades for backups that can actually happen fairly early in the season 
where right, but there's, there's I, just roster shuffle. I understand that point, but there is also the issue that Manny Pena is hitting 185, 264, 338. Yeah, I mean, he's not hitting well. And last year and was a probably, genuine surprise about his ability to hit. And that was. And it might be that he has that he has now been fully exposed to the big leagues and people have figured out what they need to do with him. I don't just watching him, I don't get the impression that he is that he is overmatched the same way that Bandy is, though. That that's not Pena seems no. to have and I think I think Pena will Given given time, he's going to hit better than what he has so far. I don't know that we're going to get close to where he was last year. But I'll I'll give you a hot take. I'm not necessarily sure that I'd be calling on Jacob Nottingham to be the backup catcher. Oh, you'd be talking about actually bringing him up to start. Yeah. I mean, he definitely... I, I was impressed... Not only last year, you know, we had heard so much about his defensive quality and how that had improved throughout the year. Um, and, you know, and I had talked to a couple of people that said it was a huge focus for him last year. And he did make some market improvement when he was with the Brewers. You could see that he has like from when I saw him, what, two, three years ago, he's so much better defensively than he used to be. Well, yeah. And that was what they what they set out to do with him from the moment they got him was we're going to turn you into a defensive a guy who can play capable defense at catcher because that's where your bat's going to play the best and by all accounts in the minor leagues the reports that that you heard that I was reading he was actually making big defensive strides and when we saw him granted it was for a very short look this year he was a good solid major league defensive catcher i mean you have to get a longer look to really get a feel for that because the the mistakes sometimes come in bunches and you don't necessarily see it all the time but i thought it was it was very telling that they brought him up and immediately if i memory serves correctly when he got into that game late his first when he made his major league debut off the bench they had him work with both hauser and uh Hauser and Williams. Williams. Yeah, yeah, Hauser and Williams, who he had caught in the minors. And then they got him out on the mound, or they then they started him the next day when it was Junior Guerra. So his first exposure to the big leagues, he got to work with pitchers that he had caught before. And I think, you know, just as a way to ease him in, that that says something about how smart this organization is and how they know what they're doing. But beyond that, he did look like he knew what he was doing behind the plate in the big leagues. And that's there's so much more to that, I think, that people necessarily realize that being able to be a competent backstop, to be able to do the things that you have to do in terms of uh, calling pitches and being the guy who is uh, the captain of the defense on the infield, there's a there's a certain presence that is required with that and I think he showed that I I did not even I didn't feel he was out of place at all he didn't seem like he was overwhelmed defensively I just don't know how much he's going to hit yet I think that in the long run I have a lot of faith that the underlying skills that he showed that were a big part of why the Brewers traded for him in the first place and gave up Chris Davis to get him I think those offensive skills are going to shine through eventually and I think we're looking at a guy who potentially down the road is going to be a pretty good big league catcher 
if those offensive qualities come back. And I think they, they will at least to some extent. But I don't know if he's there yet. I don't know if he has had the time in yet to work on all of that, to be back to the point where he is putting in the time on offense with all the time he has to still put in on defense. I mean, I'll, I'll say that watching him and Pena kind of back-to-back, like, it's obvious who the better hitter is. Like, it, it's pretty clear. I don't necess- I understand your point about whether or not he has the ability to work counts well enough to be able to maximize that swing, to be able to really, like, but, I mean, Jacob Nottingham is, has no, no doubt has better power, has a better swing, has a better idea of what he's, what he's doing at the plate to be able to punish baseballs. Whether or not he gets exploited through breaking balls is a huge question mark. But, I mean, I, I would say that if, if Jet Bandy, and I don't think that Jet Bandy, uh, frankly, I don't think Jet Bandy is going to be able to improve offensively enough to be a long-term option. I think right now they were just hoping to get by until Stephen Vogt came back. But if Stephen Vogt is going to be shut down, and at what point do you bring up Jacob Nottingham and basically split time with Manny Pena? And you hope that he can take over the everyday role. It might be sooner than I think, but I'm I'm still guessing that they're they're going to try to ease Nottingham in as opposed to throwing him feet first into what, the deep end. Wouldn't that be like splitting time and and using him three times a week? Be easing him in. That would be that would be somewhat. I I'm thinking more along the lines of selected call up here and there and not being on the roster for a long time, not being the guy who, because if they let Bandy go, now who is your third option? Who's who's behind Nottingham and Pena at that point? I mean, you're, you're, but you're already talking about going to the waiver wire. I mean, you could use the exact same argument about that. Yes, you could. That's true. It's fair. <laughs> so, so, but I mean, well, we'll I think if, I mean, staying on this point, though, I mean, we can talk about bringing people up and we can talk about replacing players. But Michael Heitkamp was was talking about the fact that uh, council specifically stated yesterday, which I must mean Saturday, that they've done a bad job getting guys on base at the bottom of the order. Right. And we've talked about that ad nauseum and it's leading to few RBI opportunities for Yelich and Kane. And and I tweeted this must have been like a week ago or so that everybody wants to to say this team is too reliant on the home run. And this is part of it. If you have only two or three guys that are hitting for any production at any time, but nobody's on base. I mean, it's not hard to figure out where the runs are going to come from. They're going to be few RBIs here and there when you actually have guys on base, but the vast majority of us is going to be knocking, knocking themselves in. Uh, But so Michael Heitkamp is asking, should they bat RCR or VR in the ninth spot? I can see an argument for that. I've always been somewhat partial to hitting the somebody in the ninth spot, maybe that has a sort of the ideal player for that spot is like Billy Hamilton, a guy who's devastating on the base paths when he gets there, but maybe he doesn't get there that much. So you don't want to have him getting all these at bats at the top of your lineup, but you would like it when he's in front of your best hitters in the lineup. Like that's, that's a positive. So if you can bury a guy like that in the nine spot and then they get to be 
sort of an extra leadoff hitter in that in that position. I can see logic for that. I think that if you're going to do that with this team right now, VR would be the guy I would go to. I would not do that with RCA yet because he is still struggling. He's still trying to get things figured out. Uh, he may be a better candidate to continue to hit in front of the pitcher, so the seven spot, if you were doing that because that will continue to it, – it will force him to be a little bit more disciplined in his approach, and I think that that's a, a positive move at this point for him to to kind of reinforce that point that he needs to be disciplined in what he's swinging at and what he's not. So, Yeah, I could see some merit in it. And the only reason – normally I would say I don't actually like giving the pitcher spot more times up to bat. Um, But with how much and how comfortable Craig Council is with the double switch late in games and moving the pitching spot around anyway, I could absolutely see an argument for batting the pitcher eighth and the problem is I don't think Arcia is well suited for that spot in the first place, partially because you're talking about his struggles, but I also don't think he's dangerous enough on the, on the base paths to be the guy that you want in the ninth spot. VR is obviously the guy you would really like to see work out. Um, but right now he's not really an option in term. Like if he was an option, Eric Sogard wouldn't really be playing very much. Well, so. I don't know how much that's true. It, VR has been okay this season. It, he's still not hitting for power, but the other things are at least reasonable. He is he is getting on base at a, at a reasonable clip, and I know some of that is driven by probably some some fluky BABIP fortune. But yeah, you want to take a guess what his BABIP is? It's probably well into the mid threes. It's almost four hundred. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and he's and his strikeout rate is over thirty percent, and his walk rate is actually almost is is two percent lower than it was last year, which already oh. like already drove dove down like half its way. From Yikes! The previous year. Okay, well, yeah, he really is. This is all a a, a Babbitt driven thing right now. So, I mean, as of right now, I, I you can say that his his batting average on balls in play is always going to be high. But it was last year too. It was three thirty, and he still only hit two forty one. Right? Yeah. Boy, it's frustrating. It would be nice to see him consistently driving the ball again, but I don't know that we're ever going to see that guy again. At any rate, at least but you do wonder, like, where did he go? I mean, like, we can make jokes, but like, yeah, I know. Like, two thousand sixteen wasn't like you can say it was a fluke, but it still happened. Yeah. Well, and usually power isn't a totally fluky thing. And that wasn't because it wasn't just home run power. The guy was consistently driving the ball for doubles and triples as well. Like it was he was he was consistently driving the baseball. And I don't know if that was just a matter of like the game caught up to him and he has not been able to adjust back to what pitchers are now more successfully doing against him. I don't know if that's the case, but that that certainly seems to be what the best guess would be but i don't offhand know what that what those adjustments would be so right well i think if we look outside of the lineup where i know you know craig uh i believe it'd be pronounced lobachinsky um Mm -hmm. 
say he was just pointing out that coming into the action on Sunday, um, or that I suppose this is your note that they were coming into the action on Sunday. They're 13th in the NL at 3.88 runs per game. And then their 308 on base percentage is 12th in the NL. So Craig was asking is, should we just like fundamentally just be nervous now that the offense is struggling? Um, and I think, Partially, partially our answer, I mean, I know your answer at the beginning was no, that you do think people are going to turn it around or they will go and get other people that can turn it around. Uh, I I mean, injuries have just been brutal. I mean, the fact that Eric Thames is gone is such a big a big loss for this team. Yeah, I think it, it that's been glossed over maybe too much, and it is a really big deal. I, it just makes was, me sad. He was the most consistent power threat in the lineup. And gave you that second really big left-handed power bat to go with with Shaw. And it just lengthened the power portion of the lineup on most days, you know, behind the guys like Yelich and Kane who are doing a great job getting on base. And now you just have one fewer big power bat in the middle of it. And it's been a bigger impact than I think I figured it was going to be. I yeah. thought they would uh, I thought they could really that they could kind of just deal with it because they had, you know, Aguilar is right there to be able to slot in on basically a daily basis. Braun can play more first base at that point. I I just didn't see it as the big issue that apparently it is. Yeah. But I think going to the starting rotation, Jerry Eldred was pointing out that not only has Chase Anderson struggled, you know, he struggled today uh, on Sunday, but given his peripherals and the fact that there has been a downtick in his vast fastball velocity, I mean, is it time that we're worried about Chase Anderson? I mean, so Chase Anderson always had these issues where his peripherals did not match up with his ERA. That's a long-standing Chase Anderson thing. Okay. So we have to understand it from the first. Yes, there's a bigger gap right now this year. I think, what did I have there? Uh, yeah, he was, this year his ERA is 397 compared with a, uh, a 603 FIP. And this doesn't include Sunday's numbers. Or actually, no, that does include Sunday's numbers. Yeah, uh, but coming into the day, his DRA was 487, which was up a full run from last year's 385. So... Yes, he is. He seems to have regressed uh, in terms of what his peripherals are as well. But there's always been that gap. So I'm not I'm not super worried that he's all of a sudden going to become he's going to start putting up ERAs in line with what his his peripherals are saying, because that's generally not been him. But I am somewhat he's not as good as he was last year. And yes, his fastball velocity does seem to have ticked down a bit. Uh, Fangraphs had it at an average of 91.9 this year compared with 93.1 last year. So, yeah, there does seem to be he seems to have lost a little bit of a step in his fastball, though you were noting there have been nights where the the fastball from last year has been there. Was like, I noting that? Yeah, you did. You pointed it out one night where the it looked better and it looked more in line with what he did last year. Okay. I don't remember that, but, but um, guys, I, guys, fastball velocities go up and down on a, you know, on a daily basis anyway. So, well, right. That's why we look at average velocity, right? Um, 
But I will say that I'm actually not worried about Chase Anderson as much because of the fastball velocity, though it does, I think, signal that something has changed in his mechanics or, or his strength or, or something to that regard. Um, I'm much more concerned about the fact that his, his curveball just hasn't been that great. And his curveball was what fundamentally changed him as a pitcher last year. He could do way better against right-handers, and they had historically proved to be an issue for him because lefties, he still has his changeup, and he's his changeup is, I'm pretty sure, is still pretty successful this year. I, I looked at the numbers uh, a few days ago, and I can't necessarily remember it too well. But even today against the Pirates, like he couldn't throw his, his curveball for strikes. And fundamentally, that's why he ended up having to come in with his fastball and he got pounded. Because it doesn't matter if you're throwing 93.1 or 91.9 with your fastball. If you have to come in with your fastball because you can't throw your breaking pitches for strikes, that's a problem. Yeah, when they know it's coming, there's not much. You know, even 96, 97 is going to be tricky unless it's got some movement or something. I mean, heck, even we saw we saw Josh Hader somehow give up another home run when uh what was it, Starling Marte could could hone in on the fastball? Yeah. Yep. And that's I mean, and that also has been kind of an issue with Hader. It, people forget he has given up three home runs this year. The main thing that keeps Hader in good shape, he he will walk guys, but it's just so hard to really make contact other than the occasional home run off of him like guys aren't getting hits off of him they're okay, usually swinging I, and missing so he did only have two home runs you you made me question myself for a second there only Wait. two home runs off a hater this year oh that was his second that wasn't his third you Correct. sure huh okay i just looked it up oh. live on air i looked <laughs> it up okay i could have sworn it was his third but okay but I think I think for Chase Anderson, what you need to look, what fans need to look for, is not focus so much on the velocity. They need to look and make sure that his curveball is good. I mean, I I know that that's reductionist, but if he's got a good curveball, he's going to find success on the day. And what you're saying with in terms of quality of curveball, it's important that he can locate it for strikes. It's he can locate it for strikes because today, basically, he, all he had was a he had a a spike curveball. That's all he had, but he couldn't get anybody to honor it because he couldn't throw it for strikes. Yeah, and so, that creates all kinds of problems. Absolutely. And you can somewhat get by with a spike curveball if you can throw your fastball for strikes ahead so you can get ahead of the count and you can move, but he wasn't really able to do that. Yeah, Ben Sheets um, did that for years. Yeah, that's what he did. I mean, that's what even Giovanni Gallardo did for a while, too. Sure. Uh, before he decided that he needed to throw a slider. And I suppose the last thing that we'll talk about today, it comes from Darren Jones. And he said, if if you could select any rule change to be implemented at the MLB level next year, what's it going to be? And I, w- I am going to take liberty with this and say it doesn't have to be one that's been discussed. Just if you could select any rule change, what would it be? I would like to see the trading of draft picks. And that's a so we're not talking on field rule. We're talking a front office rule, which is fits very much. That's very on brand for me. Yeah, so, I'm not going to allow it, so you're going to have to have a different answer. No way. No way. I'll give you time to think about it. I'll okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. you go ahead no, with so yours. If, if we get to have a non-on-the-field answer, mine is getting rid of the damn cave zone on television broadcasts. 
because <laughs> it drives me up the wall because they're not accurate and they just make people complain about the strike zone when they don't when even more um like i i an old person screaming at everyone to get off my lawn but i cannot tell you how much complaining about the strike zone makes me want to actively not watch a game <laughs> all right continue on what was your change you wanted to make <laughs> I, I think I mentioned it in a different uh, in a different podcast, but I actually think that I would I would want to say that unless it's to unless you bring in a, a relief pitcher with two outs in an inning, I think a, I think a relief pitcher should have to pit, uh, should have to face more than one hitter. I think that you shouldn't be able to bring somebody in to start an inning, have them face one batter, and then go immediately get somebody else. I think it would Im improve pace of play. I think it would involve, I, I think it would also help, especially if you're looking at the NL, uh, alleviate a lot of issues in terms of double switching and, and guys running out of, of bench bats at the end of the games. Um, but it, nothing just is more obnoxious than to see Joe Madden come out or, you know, this used to be Tony LaRusse and other people as well, where they would just like bring out a lefty because the starting with a lefty, bring in a righty because then second batter of the inning was a righty and then go get another lefty because that's who the third batter was. And it just grinds everything to an absolute halt. I don't mind it more once it comes to the playoffs, because I get it. Once you have expanded rosters in September, I get that you can do that more. Um, but it, I, I just, I don't really like it and it's just a personal thing. Uh, but the question says I get to choose. So that would be my, that would be my choice. I know yours would is putting somebody at second in extra innings, right? So you <laughs> yeah, get to see more I, you get yes. to see more bunting. Yeah, that <laughs> I would I would love to see more bunting. That yeah, that's exactly me. So okay, uh, a different question. Then I will just pose a rule change to you. Would you be against them uh, lowering the mound? Okay, so the mound stuff. I'm not sure because my understanding is that this could potentially eat raising, lowering, whatever, moving the mound around could. If you, if you mention pitcher injuries, it we don't know exactly what it will do to pitcher injuries. We don't know anything. Right. And that's like, I don't think you can just do that without. They've done it before in the past. Right. And that was at a time when there was they changed the, they like changed they the literally didn't no they, they literally didn't care if people got hurt or not. So it didn't make any difference if like they didn't care if people if people are getting hurt because they would just replace them. So, so it didn't really would, it didn't really matter to them. Injuries? I don't know if it would or not, but I don't think you can roll it out at the big league level. I think that okay. that's a thing that has then, to be rolled out in the minor leagues and see what happens, evaluate it, see what the so you can ruin their arms. Who cares? Um, so. Or yeah, I mean you you have to do. I don't know. It seems like a thing you would do. You would have to do and try someplace else before you would do it at the big league level. Well, most things, honestly, most rule changes get tried out. Hold on, hold on. Most rule changes do get tried out on the minor leagues before they make their way up to the big leagues. That's really I common. That. I know that. But so let me ask, but let me ask what the actual point of the question is then. Do you think that something needs to be done so pitchers can't throw as hard and be as dominant so that relievers aren't so good? So pitchers can't throw as hard. 
Right. I mean, um, that's the, that would be the entire point of of lowering the mound, right? It sure. would be to it's because pitching, especially if you're talking about the Josh haters of the world, or you're talking about the bullpen, or you've got every single guy coming out now throwing 97, 99 miles an hour. Yeah, like, I mean, theoretically, I know, and I I can't remember exactly where I read this, but I've seen discussions where there's disagreement among pitchers as to what lowering the mound would actually do in terms of uh, increasing, decreasing velocity uh, and or and or raising the mound. And I don't know that lowering the mound necessarily decreases velocity the way. No, but it decreases plane. It does decrease plane. And that coming in from a slightly flatter angle, then it makes velocity not as important. It makes velocity not as important. Well, it actually maybe it makes velocity more important. I don't know. Right. And that's. Right, so all of this goes into that. We don't know exactly what these the effects of these changes would be. We would need to see that play out somewhere other than the big leagues. I, I you know, you don't use the big leagues as the laboratory of what you're trying to accomplish here. If you're if you're really aside worried from, aside from replay, right? Well, that was a little bit different because in the minor leagues you didn't have access to the same technology. So you took you took that comment way too seriously. <laughs> um, well, but okay. So what would there probably does need to be something done so that relievers, especially, aren't quite as dominant. Right now, the game has turned into, you know, a home run walk fest, and a lot of the other skills aren't as important as they used to be. But I don't know if the solutions to that would necessarily be even more obtrusive and annoying. You would have to come up with something that would allow a more natural regression back to the way things used to be. Yeah, I mean, I I will say that I'm actually not necessarily for it. Right. I think that we've seen again and again that it goes in waves, that that pitching will get an upper hand and then hitting will adjust. You know, we've seen it with launch angle. We've seen it with homers. We've seen it with uh, guys taking more walks. We've seen it with the MLB messing with the baseball. Like, I think that right now we can talk about pitchers being more and more dominant, but run scoring is up from where it was a couple years ago. It's not as good as it was last year, but it's up. Largely, we think, having to do with the baseball. Being well, and, and, guy, and, guys, and guys, and it becoming more of a walk and homer fest, like you were talking about. Well, and swings becoming more oriented to hitting home runs and all Absolutely. that. Those, those go hand in hand. Absolutely. And so lowering the mound isn't going to change that as being the overarching strategy. No, I think that if you're going to try to make these changes, and I don't know what the ultimate answer is, but if you want the game to become more of the on-the-bases, ball-and-play game that people grew up with, you know, older people grew up with, then, and I'm again, I'm not sure that that's actually desirable, but, you know, I think that that's, that's a product of the people who are in charge of the game now are in their 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It's also, it's also and, guys wanting more action, though. Well, right? I mean, sure, but I hold on, though. Hold on. Is that necessarily? I I don't know that that's necessarily 
do younger people care as much about this as older people? And I kind of get the sense that younger people don't care about it as much as older people because younger people don't remember the game that was played in the seventies and eighties with the bunting and the hitting and running. I also know plenty of, I also know plenty of younger people that are millennials, just like myself who say baseball is boring. Sure. But that's always been a thing that, that goes back to people were saying that in the seventies and eighties when, the bunting and the the hitting and the running was all happening. People were complaining that the game was boring because it didn't involve the, the concussions of football or, you know, the dunks of basketball. This is is trying to suggest that now upon that you're adding to this younger generation, fewer balls in play. So then is it just compounding the issue? It might. I, yeah, I'm not sure that's, it's possible that that's. And I mentioned this because, Ben Diamond wrote this this article talking about how the fact that strikeouts are now higher than you know they've ever been and all of these things. And it was saying and he framed it as saying it was a crisis and it got a lot of love on social media. And I and I responded to him and I said, OK, great. Does is it really a crisis if run scoring is going up? Right. And he and he said, yeah, absolutely it is because there's uh, more walks, more homers, less action, and that MLB is really concerned about this. And I said, okay, then what's the answer? Okay, are you gonna make are you gonna make hitters less? Le- are you gonna make hitters have to put the play ball in play more? And what does that look like? Or are you gonna make pitchers worse? And if you're just gonna make pitchers worse, the optimal way to score runs is to hit homers. So if you make pitchers worse, you're just gonna have more home runs, right? And longer games. So that doesn't necessarily seem to. So I don't necessarily. My own thing is running off of this. If that's the issue, if you want more balls in play and you want less dominant pitching, I don't know what the option is. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, yeah, I've I've had thoughts along these lines also where I'm not sure what actually the solution is. I think one of the things that gets missed in these discussions, too, about how, well, if a home run isn't happening, then. It's boring because if home runs are the only way runs are scoring, then then it, it, everything becomes boring because home runs only happen, you know, a few times a game and they last for a few seconds and then whatever. But that isn't that isn't the whole point of sports. A big part of it is also the anticipation. And because home runs can now happen all the time, because home runs, because the threat of a home run is so much more present now with every pitch because most batters can hit home runs because most batters, it, the threat at least exists. The threat of that action is also creating a drama that it's a different drama than will this guy steal? Won't he steal? You know, what's going to happen in this, you know, in with this hit and run or whatever, what strategy is going to be employed here? It's a different drama, but is it less drama? I my my yeah. gut says it's probably not actually less drama, but I don't know. I I've, I'm not sure how I feel about that because you can say the same thing about the fact that yes, while a, while home runs could happen more often and that would create a positive anticipation, you're also looking at a uh, a league in which strikeouts can happen, and you should expect strikeouts to happen ever more. So, like, really, then are you just be going to be more frustrated in the meantime are strikeouts not dramatic 
uh well when it, your team that you like is striking out more you just get more and more i mean you you've been on twitter well okay but is that a con- is that an issue of people have been conditioned to think that way so that's how they think right now but they will adjust look, over time look if you want to get into whether or not disliking strikeouts is a cultural construction <laughs> i'm not sure if we're gonna do well that might, no, no, that no, might but, be that but, might be our signal to, to leave <laughs> The thing I think that people don't understand that baseball is, I, you know, not to make it too much of like an Adam Smith invisible hand thing, but um, is a self-correcting ecosystem. Like pitchers, pitchers will gain an upper hand and hitters will learn to adjust. And if they don't, they they won't be in the big leagues. Yeah, exactly what those adjustments will look like and where the balance ends up falling. There are things that the game can do to manipulate that. And they did that with the home run spike. And pretty clearly, I don't know how intentional that I mean, was. That I don't was know if we the, have evidence of how intentional it was. But I was going to say, that was the whole thing that you were like salivating over about Theo Epstein talking about guys being able to hit all over the field and making the shift redundant because they learned. If if that's actually happening, yeah, that would be. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I know. That would be but, something. But yeah, but it's just it's evidence to saying it, it's an evidence a piece of evidence suggesting that overarching point, right? That, right. That guys will adjust and that once hitter, hitters adjust, that's why you're starting to see pitchers throw up high in the strike zone now because yeah. the launch angle revolution, if you want to call that, call it that, that pitching up higher in the zone can be more effective. Right. Um, so there's always going to be a back and forth in all yeah, of this. Absolutely. And that's, absolutely. yeah, we'll end up, we'll see where it goes. I don't think, massive overhauls are needed i i tend to think that this stuff about well too many strikeouts too many home runs not enough action with the ball in play gets overblown right but it should be noted that we're also not the ones that they're trying to please no they're we're not we're not we're already hooked we're (laughs) they've they've got us as fans so they don't need to get us they're trying to add more people but right yeah so that's going to do it for the show this week, though. And you can always join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive our monthly minor league extra podcast, which we just recorded. So you can always get that. And as always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through the Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, if Ryan ever remembers to go on Facebook and moderate that page. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. It's like he never left. I know. I'm just doing my best to embody Steve, because every time that he leaves, our hosting ability just goes down the toilet. So I'm doing my best. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Like I use Overcast. You can also get it there. You can leave uh, reviews, help people find the podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. And look for us again on Milwaukee's Tailgate.
I said that might be our <laughs> our signal to go. Oh, sure. And then you said no, and then you struggled. <laughs> sure. Actually, you're right. That is that is a perfect way to put a cap on that. 